Hello and welcome to Get It Started, Get It Done, the Banyan Security Podcast covering the security industry and beyond. In this episode, our host and Banyan's Chief Security Officer, Den Jones, speaks with Amanda Fennell. Amanda is CSO and CIO at Relativity. Trained in archaeology and anthropology, she loves people in addition to her deep technical background. We hope you enjoy Den's discussion with Amanda Fennell. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Get It Started, Get It Done. I'm the host, Dan Jones. It's Banyan's, I guess, adventure into podcasting. If our software business goes to crap, then I guess we'll try and become movie stars or some shit. This is is the backup? (laughs) This is the backup plan. You know, that's maybe the best we got. We actually have a really cool office in San Francisco, so I figured we could maybe turn that into a nightclub. Um, so this 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 episode, uh, we have Amanda Fennell, Rel- relativity is that how you oh, yeah. just relativity, yeah, yeah, CSO oh, and CIO. Oh, so uh, the winner you want to know of many on hats. Today, right? You're like, which which hat is it on today? Is that what you're gonna ask? Yeah. Well, it, it's funny because I'm about to do a blog post, Amanda, where I'm like, hey, I've, I've worn a million hats in the last year. So we can we can chat a little bit about life as a you know, CSO at a startup where you wear more more than just uh, tech hats. So, yeah, Amanda, why don't you, hey, first of all, thanks for being on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, a little bit about you and a little bit about the company? Yeah, so I am Amanda Fennell. Thank you so much for having me on. And I actually came here five years ago to be the chief security officer and to do the things that we do with securing all of the stuff. So it's like, you know, the company, but also the product and then the compliance side and everything in between and privacy. And as you said, your remit kind of grows when you're at a startup and you start all these different things and ESG and ERM, all the different acronyms. And so it's somewhere along the way they threw the acronym in CIO because of IT. And um, I think that's become quite a trend these days now that people are moving security and IT to be together because we're, we're both fundamentally trying to do the same thing that we want everything to run really fast and smoothly, securely. So um, that's been the past five years. And before that, I had a career. I guess I haven't used that word before. It makes me feel older now, but I've spanned a lot of different things. But I started out as an archaeologist and um went into digital forensics and then started a career in that and incident response. And so my background is primarily in the cyber realm until five years ago when it started to become the product security as well. Awesome. And, and yeah, I'd love to. So, so archaeology to then oh, no. digital forensics. Are you going to say you're going to dig into that? Is that? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want to dig because normally you need a little brush and a little thing know. and, a you trap. know, good, good attention to detail. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't like that level of attention to detail but how did how did you go from an archaeologist into forensics and, and cyber Oh man um I don't know how it was for you but for me it was student loan debt and I started in a master's program for paleo hominid biology and realized there were no jobs in it and there was no career really to pay back the 130,000 student loan you know dollars I would have to pay back So I said, where can you do forensics um, and have job security? And I stumbled upon this new versioning field of digital forensics. And it sounded really cool. The matrix had come out, like computers were the big thing. It was a huge boom of time. Um, I I lived in DC. So this was like a huge industry um, for like malware and research 
advanced adversaries, all these things. So I went into the industry because George Washington, the, the George Washington University had a program for digital forensics. So I just moved and lifted and shifted and said, okay, I'm going to move away from human forensics and move into digital forensics. And that was it. That's awesome. I mean, it, it's funny, right? Yeah, I am. My origin story, um, I'm a musician. I love music gear, as you can see behind me. Um, I, and I'm crap at music, really. I mean, I've got some talent, but not enough to, to make money or not enough to make enough money. That's um, another backup job. That's another. Yeah, yeah. Th th that is absolutely the backup job. And and so my buddy, he he was, I was at his house and had all this music gear. And this was before I was doing IT stuff. I was a postman and, and I just wanted, I just wanted gear. And I'm like, hey, Bruce, how did you get all this? And he's like, well, I do IT. Now, <laughs> reflecting on that. So, so yeah, then he told me how to, how to get into the field. Um, but reflecting on that, I was thinking back the other week. I'm like, sure, shit. I'm glad he never said he was a stripper. I'm like, can you imagine? He's like, I'm a stripper. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that. That's and then, his backup job. Then that's I'd be, yeah, that's his. Well, he's now actually, he's a photographer now. So he's even out of the IT field. But he still has more music gear than me. And he has some of the most amazing music gear. And I just know I can't become a photographer because I'm really crap at that. So You know, it's a weird thing I've noticed in every industry, though. And photography is no, no one to be shy of this. Every industry does require so much technical acumen now, like every yep. So yep. even archaeologists, like when I was leaving that industry, we were using ground penetrating radar to find out where we should dig. Like we were using technology to make it faster and go further faster and efficiently. But even like photography, like there are very few photographers out there that are not using technology in some way, uh, not yeah. necessarily like for photoshopping, but just in terms of production and things like that. So. He may not be in IT technically, but I bet he's still using that skill set. Oh, he is a lot of yeah. He's a he is a technologist, and it's it's really good, cool because he also like he he he's a, obviously a Photoshop user. And me working at Adobe for twenty years, you know, I got I got to meet the people that make the software, and I I got to kind of connect him with them and stuff. So it was it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, now. There's something, so so a couple of, let, let, let me go through, you know, we'll, we'll do some worky businessy things, um, you know, and then, then we'll jump into, because I, I Wait, you actually told me I didn't have to talk about any work businessy things on this. You said we were just going to hang out. Now it's changing the screen. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think there's a couple of, there's a couple of great things here, right? Um, when we're talking about kind of things I could ask you. One of the things for me is, you know, as, as, a, as a leader you know, first of all, you've been a CISO for, for over five years, which is pretty commendable because most CISOs last a couple of years and then they jump and then they jump. 18 to 24 I, months, right? I, I Yeah, I think it's like we're playing Russian roulette. It's like I've been in this company, never got breached. Okay, cool, better leave now before the shit hits the fan. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so being, being five years, but, but in your career, you know, you've, you've joined companies, you've built teams. And, and and building teams is is not an easy thing if you want to hit the ground running. So, what what kind of experiences have you got from building teams, and what advice would you give to other leaders that are trying to, you know, new job, inherited a team, and they're trying to figure that out? You know, I've recently been through this because I had some new direct reports in the past six months, and um, I had to like work with them really closely because they had a different style or et cetera than, than I thought about for building a team. 
So I've had to recently ask this question of myself, like, what, what do I think is most important? One of them, I think, is that you have to have something to believe in. Now, I know that's cheesy. I get it. It sounds cheesy. But the reason we do things like a vision or a mission is because you have to have an alignment that everyone's working towards the same thing. And it has to be something compelling. It can't be we're here to make money or whatever because human beings are inherently existential. We want more than that. We want to know that we're doing more than just time to make the donuts and punch in a check. We want to feel like we contribute to something. So I think like having something to believe in is like fundamentally one of the first things that you have to look at. The second thing that I see that people struggle with, I feel like I had this ready, by the way, and I didn't. This is just like a weird conversation I had recently. But the second thing was that you can't um, throw the dart at like what that is without involving other people in it. And so that's the mistake I see a lot of people come into an organization and they're so sure they know what they're doing. They don't do, and I don't want to get all archaeologist on you, but you don't look at the context. You have to actually look at what came before and what, what's going to come after. And you have to understand how all that worked together and what the stratigraphy was. Like that skill set has actually been super helpful in a lot of stuff is understanding and appreciating what came before and what you want to build together and getting people involved in it. So I think that's something to believe in, having appreciation for some of the context. And then um, I guess just being a little bit crazy. Like you have to enable like a curious mindset where people mm -hmm. can speak up with really weird ideas and you give it a shot and you don't yeah. just shoot it down. Like that sounds ridiculous. Instead, I'm like, I don't think that's going to work, but um, no, let's give it a shot. Let's do it. You know, and sometimes it works. I'm like, man, I was glad to be proven wrong. And yeah. that that created a really cool environment in the times that I've built some teams. So I hope so. Yeah. And it's, it's hopefully, I mean, I think the one thing is, you know, how do you build trust quickly with people? Right. Cause for me, I'll follow someone to, to the ends of the earth if I really trust them and I know they've got my back and, and they support me in a way that helps, helps me grow, but helps me be successful in, in the role. Right. And, and so, so when you think of like building trust, it seems like being clear, being open, but 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 really helping people share their ideas and and getting a shot at that is that is that kind of your ethos there? I do, um, but I think this is actually if I you know I always do things in threes, and now you're messing me up because now I want to add a fourth one based on what you just said. But I think what it is is actually. Um, I don't know, like a really cool way to say this, but like, I actually am just insatiably curious about human beings. I'm just curious about them yeah. and I actually like them. And because I like people, that comes across as authenticity as a leader. I don't do a one-on-one -on -one because I have to. We could choose to not do those. I do them because I would like to get to know you. And I'd like to understand better, like, what is it that compels you? And what are you going for? How can we align on what you're trying to do? And whatever other things you could read in any leadership building, you know, workbooks and stuff. But I genuinely enjoy that. And I like that. Yeah. And so I think that that's probably the biggest part of what you're saying, I think, is the ethos is like, do you like people? And if you don't, you may not want to be in a leadership role. Yeah, it's, well, it's funny because most people in their career, right, they'll go through technical Hey, I'm a I'm a techie person, techie. Then a senior techie. Then I yeah. want to be an architect, and 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 somewhere down that that path, they, they suddenly feel like, well, the only career step next is management, and and it's like, no, you, you if you're a techie and you're a shit people person, but you're insanely gifted technically, 
maybe being a manager is not for you. And then for me, I always knew management was in my journey because technically I'm good, but but my desire to engage with others is way, way stronger. Like my EQ is way stronger than my IQ. And, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of see it as being, I want to promote and, and help and enable the success of those around me. And, and it doesn't have to be because it benefits me. Indirectly, I think a really good leader gets benefited when they bring their team and they, they make their team successful. Like whatever you can do to empower and enable your team. And then ultimately, I learned early on that um, trust was huge. I, I Back to my post office days, actually, I, I had a manager that I worked for and and I just caught him out lying on several things. And the minute I, minute I did, I'm like, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I can't trust you and I can't do anything for you. I'd, and I had no desire to stay. Like, it just totally twisted it. Um, now, actually, I had no desire to be a postman anyway, because Scotland, I don't know if you know this, I mean, it's raining in San Jose today, but, but Scotland, it rained a lot and it snowed a lot. It was bloody cold. And walking in the streets for five hours carrying mail was not really a good plan. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't ring home for Dan Jones. So yeah. Now, yeah. The, um, I, I think there's like a part there though. I was going to mention that I think is interesting. I so two things. One is I do think that people often get to that moment of I started out technical. I rose up to a certain level. Now I need to make a decision. Am I going to be a long-term individual contributor slash architect, or I'm going to go into management leadership? This does happen often. And I think the reason why I see a lot of people make the jump into people leadership and management isn't because they like people, unfortunately. It's because they realize that they have no gravitas with decision making whenever you're just an individual contributor with your voice. But if you actually and the reason why isn't because the voice isn't important, actually, it's because when you're in a leadership role, you know, again, all that context of the business of what's going on. So you make decisions that affect the product or you affect the people, you affect the process, et cetera. And you make your decisions wisely about the holistic thing as opposed to your one subject matter expert area. So when I sit at a table, I don't sit at a table as a chief security officer. I sit at a table as an executive. And I know just as much as what's going on over there in RevOps as I do that's going over there in legal. Like I know all the stuff that's going on. And I think that that's kind of the difference people have when they start to look at the roles and like, where do I go? That's the big separator is like, are you going to be able to look at the whole picture when you make decisions or can you only hang out in your one domain? That's number one. The other thing you said that really struck me because I just walked out of a one-on-one with somebody and they were struggling because they have a long-term, really technical person who just seems to like fight with every decision that comes up. And I was like, yeah, they're not fighting with you because they don't agree with you or whatever. I said, they just don't trust you. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, they don't trust your decision making. And I was like, the irony of this is that five years ago, you and I had the same conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, five years ago, I said, you're going to have to learn to trust me or this isn't going to work out very well. And I was like, what'd you do? He was like, I I trusted you. And I said, you're going to have to have the same conversation now. Just pay it forward. It does start with trust. And I think you're totally spot on with that. Yeah, it's you know, I, I was I was thinking back as as you were saying that there one one of um, my leaders in Adobe had an offsite with with his team and and they were they were just talking about my desire 
and and you know stupidly or not but my desire to shut down on-premise active directory right that was one of the like we done the directory and authentication services for adobe and and I, i'm just like we got to start this path to shut this shit down right and 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 this guy microsoft worshiping nut basically but really smart guy but very um very eclectic personality or outspoken personality he decided to have a rant and a rave about like this decision and 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 the thing the thing that was interesting was i was like i've not made this decision microsoft made this decision when they laid off the people in the organization that supported us for on-prem ad because everything was going azure i'm like so you gotta like think beyond but to your point a lot of the technologists they, they see was within their little vision bubble and they don't see the outside and even in his case it was outside it was in his subject domain with a vendor that he works with every day so you would hope that he would have seen it but he was so fixated on this is my job this is what i do i'm an expert at this thing and don't mess with that and and where there's me in the background really pulling the rug from under these guys carpet of, of people who do ad now historically for me i was a novel guy so i didn't like bloody active directory anyway i thought it was shit. Yeah. so i didn't really you know i didn't i don't have any like religious uh worshiping of of the microsoft you know and ecosystem but you know I, I i ran that for many years or my team did um, so how do you generate and maintain the trust over time. So like that was one exchange and they didn't know maybe if you had different reasons or what, if you had good reasons for the transition, but like you still had to work with this person later. Like, did you maintain the trust? And oh, how yeah. Do you yeah. I mean, like I say, the guy's a talented individual and stuff. And, and, and actually he's, he's one of, one of my hires for, for over the years. Right. So, um, it, it was a, Hey, let me explain this. And let me explain how this isn't actually my thing as opposed to an industry thing. And then let me explain how I see this and how I'm aware of this, because I'd like you guys all to be aware of it, not just the one having the meltdown, but, but everybody, because that was in front of like 12 or 15 other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 oh, and the, the way I stopped the conversation, which is one of my cheeky responses, usually when someone's having an absolute meltdown, I remind them, you know, in this case, I was like, you know, Adobe built all these doors that you get to walk out of and you get to choose whether you want to walk back in. <laughs> and, said, and, and, this, let me, and I'm always like, you know, let me be honest with you. I'm really enthusiastic the way you're speaking to me in front of everybody else right now that you walk out the door. And when if you want to keep arguing with me about it, just take the door, go, you know, go, go home and, and calm down a little bit. And if you want to have a sane conversation. We can have the same conversation. Some way it's almost like knee jerk, stop the thing, bring some calmness back in yeah. and, and then explain. And then ultimately trust for me has always been, and it's kind of like this podcast title, right? Of get it started, get it done. Many people over the years like working with me because they know we're going to deliver the result. Now, many people will tell you I could be a bit of an asshole as we deliver the result because sometimes it's not collaborative, sometimes it's very collaborative, but ultimately we're under pressure within the business to actually deliver a result. And that result isn't always, I just deployed some technology. 
it's a what was the business value that the technology enabled and people that work with me and the, org, the teams over the years i've had people work with me three times like they've actually applied for a job that i've had third time and it's like holy shit are you still mad um <laughs> but but you, you if you if you trust each other i think that goes a long way um so yeah now one thing i'm going to twist this a little bit and move away from oh, we're work. pivoting we're pivoting yeah from less work shit, right so here's here's something that that i've people have commented to me that i've done fairly well over the years i've got the work hat and i can like have a big argument and a debate and something with somebody during the day at work and then at night time we're doing some social event and it's it's almost like that thing never happened because we're best of buddies and we're socially hanging out. Yeah. How do, how do you compartmentalize that situation of hey you've got work and then you've got work related but they're more social events? How do you kind of separate that? Um, okay, well, I mean, the first thing I should probably say is to set the stage here is that I am in Myers Briggs, like I'm an INTJ. And if you don't know what that means, it's most closely aligned with Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. <laughs> so it's a there's not a whole lot of personal feelings going on over here. Um, and it's actually like a really interesting dynamic because um, it's just over the years. I think I was, you know, in my 20s, you know, I probably still was emotional in my 30s, maybe, you know. But as I've gotten now, I'm 42 and I'm like a really level headed person that doesn't take anything personal. It's just business. Yeah. So the first thing is like, I don't take anything personal. I also, like, I just, that energy is not there. And so as a consequence, those engagements, whenever people get like super elevated and excited about a topic in a, in a negative way and they're arguing, mm -hmm. oh man, cracks knuckles. Like the, you just oh, let really? me, you just let me win when you do that. Like, don't do that. So instead I, I try to calm everything down too, like you said, and like, let's just bring that down a bit because when you're emotional, I can't hear you. But when you bring it down to like the business side of it, I can understand and I can relate to that. But if somebody wants to come at me with a whole bunch of emotion, I, I don't really have a whole lot that I can do with that from a very binary perspective. It's a very like, you know, that that's, doesn't process and compute. Yeah, that's pretty I fascinating. I was, I was trying to find here, I, I, like, I think I'm INTJ as well. It's yeah. been such a long time and, and I am pretty much, my, my friends say to me sometimes, they're like, you know, like you, you run your personal life as if it's a business. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes I guess. I use the tips and tricks and techniques that I've learned in my leadership career to benefit me or deal with problems and situations in my personal life. And vice Just because versa. it's conflict resolution. Yeah, but and vice versa though. Like um, I had a, a good friend of mine who's worked with me for a long time and he went on to become the CISO now at Big ID. I'm really excited for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he called me um, not long ago and he was like, I don't understand like how to be a good dad right now with these small children and stuff. And I'm so stressed out about this, you know, other thing. And I was like, oh, cause I look at this differently. I do have three children and I look at them as like my superpower. So that time of like, you know, you take your time and you finish a Zoom call and then you take the 10 minutes or you're out there with them making them dinner or whatever it is you're doing. I actually, this may answer your entire question. I enjoy what there is to enjoy and I suffer what there is to suffer. 
So that's how I valid, like go through everything. So when I'm in that moment of like, maybe I'm making hot chocolate for one kid or trying to explain to him what the Southeast states are, et cetera, those moments, I relish them. And I embrace and I like fall into that moment like you're in the ocean. Like I drop into that moment and I'm fully present in there. But I'm also fully present in there for all of the work things that I'm doing. So I give 100% or more for everything that I do so that I know at the end of the day I did everything I could. I have no regrets. Yeah. And so no, I feel that's like awesome. I yeah. balance that. Yeah. I was, and I was just going to say the one, the one thing about work-life balance is like my daughter's about to turn 18 and she'll be going off to college in summer. And, and, and it's almost like, wait a minute, I just remember when she was five, like that time passes so fast. Um, yeah. So it's almost like, yeah, you gotta be present, especially with your family and friends and you know, your loved ones and stuff. Not that all your family need to be friends or loved ones actually, but that's a different, that's a different podcast. Well, there's, um, there's like, I did a lot, you know, during COVID and stuff. And I think that that was actually what like spurred me to really become way better in this area of like embracing a lot because you couldn't travel and you couldn't leave. And all of a sudden you're locked in with all these people. So I learned how to just enjoy it. But the other thing is I went into doing cooking. So I did culinary school and I started working at a restaurant and nothing is more humbling to an executive than starting on the line in a restaurant in New Orleans. So there was a lot of takeaways that I took from that and brought that back into my job. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not right. Or I was a lot more humble about the way that I engaged with things. I also had a lot more appreciation for like the setup for things like mise en place, like putting everything in its place and getting it ready before you do something. So I think it's that taking the pearls of wisdom you can get from anything you're doing from work or home or other jobs or passions, music for you. Like we take those things. I would expect that somebody who's really into music, you probably spend a lot of time looking for the pattern in conversations and you recognize when something's missing and when something needs to be brought in. And you realize when there's like, it's almost like a maestro moment of like, we need more empathy here or we need more data there. And I would imagine that's probably what you bring in from music, but I think it's a great. Yeah, story. sometimes. It, well, it's, it's, so I'll, we'll jump, we'll jump to that one in a second. So let's park that. I want to come back to the cooking business, right? So what got what what made you decide to do some culinary classes and then how did you take that leap from there to to do restaurant work while most restaurants were not even open yeah well there's no great political answer i lost a lot of weight and so i changed my relationship with food i think like over years and i wasn't like you know 100 pounds more or anything but it was just not as healthy as i could have been and so um, when you change the relationship dynamic from the fundamentals, you look at it differently. It's a little like minority report, you know, it just, you look mm -hmm. at it from all sides. So when I did that, I started to like really appreciate the art behind food and plating and like what's going yeah. on with fingers and the orchestra that's there. So when I did that, um, I went to do it formally because I don't do anything halfway, right? I'm not going to like take a class or something. I was like, I'm going to get a culinary degree. And it's intense and I got French trained and it was really intense, but they actually won't let you graduate unless you work in a restaurant. And so I didn't have an option originally. And I had to work in a restaurant as a stage for, I think it was about seven, eight weeks, maybe like two months. And I ended up staying on there for many more months because I just actually enjoyed what enjoyed I was doing. Enjoyed it. 
and I became really good friends with the sous chef and I worked my way up and, you know, I just, it was, it was my relief, like my place in life where no one was bothering me to ask me questions about work because I was in a kitchen. You can't answer the phone. You can't answer a Slack message. My hands are covered and I'm probably deveining shrimp or something. So there was this pocket of time of like, it was just me and the work. And I loved that. And I, I literally like my last shift was like two weeks ago. Oh, wow. So you were doing, so you're doing that part-time nights and weekends while mm-hmm. you're doing your day job, while you've got the three kids running the household, juggling all these things. So how, 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 do you, how did you survive? I think I just have like, um, so like I still drive a manual car, right? And so, and, and I also like went to school to pay for that school originally, like to get through school, I paid by being a car mechanic. So like, I love cars. And I think I'd liken it to, I have six speeds and I would just shift into whichever gear I needed to be in. And I still do. So like the gear, like I'm in Chicago right now for work. And so I'm in work gear. Right. But yeah. later tonight, my nine-year-old wants to watch the golden girls to fall asleep and I'll be FaceTiming them to do that. So I'm going to shift into mom gear. So I just shift between those gears with no, uh, no grinding, basically. You know how there's like the grinding of gears when you're not really yeah. in there. I don't do that. I'm seamless at this point because of the past couple of years of focusing on how to do that. But I just wow. seamlessly into the different gears. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a lot of time. I mean, I'm guessing there's not much you time or alone time, but I get the impression your personality, you don't like, you don't need alone time in order to feel emotionally strong or, or I, I guess, you know, because the cooking stuff, because I, I love to cook as well, right? And when I was at college, I worked part-time in kitchens. So I was a dishwasher. And then I was a line, like I was a line cook. I was doing salad prep and stuff like that. And yeah. it was not great restaurant. It certainly wasn't culinary genius. Um, <laughs> but, but like you say, you get an appreciation for how, how organized and how you need to multitask and things of that nature, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. for, for you, does... does the cooking and these other activities actually de-stress you from a hard day's work is no or no like so where do you wind where do you wind down i've got the worst answer ever like i bet anybody who's listening this far is like here we go here's the good stuff we're gonna get the secret of success right no (laughs) at the end of the day i get the most energy because this is what you ask like where do you get your energy from and where do you lose it, right? And we spend so much energy throughout the day on all these different things that we choose to prioritize. At the end of the day, I get my energy back from two things. No, well, three maybe. One, of my kids and I all actually really like video games and, and doing our own thing near each other quietly. And so we quietly are around and I read a lot. And so I read while they're around and like I feel like that's my energy moment. You know, there's a fireplace crackling hanging out, it's quiet, cup of coffee. Like this is my quiet time. That's me time. And I don't mind other people being there. This may be because I grew up in a really big family. I know how to secrete like myself in front of everybody and be by myself, even though there's a lot of people around. You can still zone out, right? Yeah. I can totally like just flip that switch and be like, yeah, I'm surrounded by five people, but I'm in my own space. So that's one. But the other one that's not the secret to success, glass of wine and watching the office. That's how I end the day or Seinfeld probably yeah. like most days. It's just a gear shift again to like be like, all right, I'm back in first gear. This is where I get to de-stress. It gets prepped. And then the last thing I was going to mention, I am obsessed with making sure I get sleep. 
Like I go to bed. My husband jokes this all the time. He's like, it's like 835. And I'm like, all right, I got to go. And I'm going upstairs to relax and get to bed. Um, but yeah, I sleep like nobody's business. And I also wake up at like 5 a.m. So. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, so most successful people I know, they're all early risers. And then I feel like I'm the, the total, so the imposter syndrome, right? I, I'm like, I'm the imposter because I'm like, I, I like my sleep. And for me, like seven o'clock now feels like an early morning. I'm like, I don't, I don't, especially in winter when it's getting dark and stuff. I'm like, geez, no, but I'm that, also, I'm also a night owl. So that I'm not, in, I'm not sleeping before midnight. So is my husband and he is a brain surgeon, but I will tell you that guy stays up till 3 a.m. watching TV or whatever he's doing or prepping for a presentation. And he would easily sleep till two o'clock in the afternoon if I left him alone. So yeah. I think it's definitely just different people. He is a night person and I am not. I am a morning person, which also makes me annoying in the morning because I'm the person that's learned over time that people don't want to talk to you in the morning. So we just yeah. don't talk and I just drink my coffee. But the whole time I'm like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's funny, right? Because I'm also, I'm less talkative in the morning and I'm less productive in the morning. And I am most productive um, late morning all the way through to like, I can, like for me, even like when I'm working on slides or something, I'm, I'm sometimes quite happy just having like, like say, have a glass of wine, throw some slides out. I can be more creative. I can put some music on yeah. and I can just chill, you know? And, and I, I, I think, I, I, I think, I think more creatively, when I'm in that mode, as opposed to my morning is good for me just churning through tasks that are repetitive, that are mind-numbingly boring, but they're not requiring a lot of creativity. This so, is like the best part of team building that I highly recommend that people do. And I, I love this. And it's by asking the people on your team, what is their most um, like, you know, effective time of day for them? And then mapping out your group of people to see if you have any overlap and only scheduling meetings during that time when you work together. So we've done that before because we have some people in like Poland and stuff like that. And you would think Poland wants us to do our meetings in Central Zone early morning. So it's still during their workday. No, yeah. the people that we work with there actually love working at like 11 o'clock at night. And so we just mapped it out to figure out when do they like to have the meetings. But that idea of like when you crank out your best work, everyone has different answers. But if you map it, you can typically figure it out and then find out our team is most effective at this time of day. Yeah, that's awesome. So one, one of the things, one of the things going back to like team building or, or team structured and organizing your team, I, I started in Adobe. I continued on when I got to Cisco and it's no meetings on a Friday. I'm just like, I just want to get to a position. We have so many meetings at work. If, if everybody in the organization says, right, we're not doing meetings on a Friday, that gives you time to kind of wind out your week. It's, it's a bit of a quieter day. You can maybe get some productive stuff done. Um, and, and my team loved it. You know, I, I think they probably loved it because it's like a, a nice chill day. Fridays are chill days. Um, but, but it really meant that, you know, you're not doing stupid meetings or, or cause, cause sometimes people, you know, they cut out early for the weekend and mm -hmm. if they're going to do that, then, you know, you're maybe missing key people and stuff. So I love doing that. Though, like you need trust to like, believe that your people will do the work they need to get done and make sure that they'll set themselves up for success by doing that. And also 
the the organization. So like I've I've done this in my team, the no meeting Friday, like that's our that's our norm. And um, the rest of the organization had a lot of problems with it. And eventually they tried it out on like a trial period, like et cetera. But at the end of the day, I just I had to do what was right for us, even if I couldn't affect the change around the whole world. But over time, they did get interested. But, you know, sometimes you just have to say, you know what, the line has to stop somewhere and my team will not be working on these days. Yeah. And I've done, you know, my, my thing was I wasn't so strict about it. It was a case of, hey, you know, no standing meetings on a Friday. It's not so you can't take a meeting on a Friday, but, you know, let's be let's be thoughtful about it. Um, and the other thing I always told my team to do is block out time to do work and block out time for breaks. Like, so if, if you're if you really want to do like lunch, just block out 12 to one. And it doesn't mean that people can't get to your, get get that time if that's the the requirement. But you know, actually, um, no. asked me that one time about like how do you because I'm super super time efficient, right? And someone was like, "How come you never let anything like slip through the cracks? Like, how do you always stay on top of everything?" And I was like, "Oh, because if I don't finish an email or the need from an email in my inbox, I make it a time appointment on my calendar." Like, okay, well, I'm not going to get to this today. So tomorrow from 9 to 9.15, I'm going to work on this task or whatever it's needed or whatever. So I clear my email out every day because I'm one of those people. There's like two kinds of people, right? I clear everything out because I either get it to where it needs to go to keep it moving or I will block out time on my calendar by making it a meeting that I'll do it. But super helpful. That's funny. I do do that as well. You know, and I tell people block time to work. And if you've got a backlog of work and you, you might, you know, so people have backlogs and they'll, they'll store them in some fancy system, Jira, whatever, right? But for me, it's really simple just to go calendar invite, things to do, and I list all the things that need done, and I'll add things to that list, and then I'll continually move and block time through the week to do it. Yeah. Because um, if you don't block time to do it, it's like, well, when when are you meant to do that work? And, and you know, I'm trying not to blow my evenings and weekends just working all the time. So, yeah. yeah. Now... So is uh, I'm, I'm conscious of your time and stuff. I'd, I'd love to know a couple couple of easy ones for you, right? So when you're at a dinner party with friends, how do you describe your job? Um, okay. So I actually didn't mention this earlier, but let's say what does relativity do? So um, the people who have any tech experience, I say it's like uh, Splunk, but for legal data, like if you know what Splunk is. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people who have no idea... I just say that we're a company and what I do for a living is I work security at a company that we organize a lot of data. We have to figure out what it, what it means and what it does. And then we help people to do something with it. Like most often in the legal environment or compliance, but a lot of people are overwhelmed with data and don't know what to do with it, nor is it evidentiary value, like that it can be going through the court systems. So our product came around and like, that's what we do as a company. We organize data so people can do something with that and make it actionable. My job is to make sure that nothing bad happens with that data, that it is secure in transit, at rest, that everything we do that is securing the house and the fortress and everything is done correctly and well and with with a lot of honor. So I guess no one actually has asked me in a long time because maybe I don't go to enough parties, but that's probably what I would say. Although, yeah, you're, you're probably not partying as much as I, I I'm not going to say I'm a party animal, but I, I certainly like to be social. So um, I, I do try and hang out with people and host events and stuff. Nobody actually wants to know the depth of that. So normally I just say I do security. And if they're like, what kind of like cybersecurity? And like you just yeah. leave it at that. 
And it just sounds that no one asks any more questions because they don't want to talk to somebody who does cybersecurity. I'm normally yeah. with doctors. They want to talk to other doctors. So that's typically what. Or, or the, the, yeah, the interesting thing is between us and audits and CPAs and, you know, that kind of that bucket of people that are considered boring people. Um, so I, over the years, when I'd ever be out, and especially when I was on the dating scene when I was a young kid, I used, I used to come up with all sorts of nonsense. So in Scotland in the 90s, you know, computers were becoming a thing and everybody wanted somebody to help them build a computer. So eventually I decided I was a dolphin trainer. So whenever I'd meet people, I'd be like, I'm a dolphin trainer. And, and, and in Scotland, about half an hour from where I lived, there was a sea life center. So, you know, I, I had this yeah, whole, whole story. I have dated you then. That sounds like an awesome answer. I w I'm going to steal it, but that sounds awesome. Yeah, so it does. And then, so when I moved to California, just so I wouldn't get caught up in this, can you help me with my computer shit? I told people I was an igloo repairman. Now, I don't know if you know about California, but it's quite a hot place. I'm assuming you do. Um, yeah. So an igloo repairman, I don't know if you can imagine, not a lot of work for igloo repairmen. So, um, they have to I, on that though. Like, how would you not still end up helping somebody with their computer? Well, because I was, I was doing servers and networks and directories and not, not workstations, they don't <laughs> not your, care. not your computer. So like, yeah, so people don't care. They don't care. Like I spent the first, you know, decade in, in terms of like my twenties, when I was dealing with cars, I would get calls from any one of my sisters, like, Hey, my car is making this noise. What's it mean? Like, you know, whatever. And I'd have to diagnose that over the phone or help them figure it out. Nowadays, I still get the same call, but now it's my computer's making this many beeps. What does it mean? And I'm like, oh, okay, hurry up. But it's like, no one cares. They still, they don't care what you're doing on the daily. They still think that you just know computers so you can fix it. Now, the worst part is dead. They're not wrong. They are correct. We do translate what's going on in the cyber world for people who don't understand it. So yeah, technically yeah. You, you just have, you're probably busy. Yeah, we're in, you know, there's this busyness and then there's enthusiasm. And <laughs> I, I don't know if there's like a, a, a tally, if we'd account for every time we help someone with their computer problem. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I stopped counting that shit. And I, I try and avoid it, to be honest. I, yeah. I do try and avoid it. I'm like, oh, maybe you should take that to the Apple Center. Oh, you know why? Because it just takes a long time for the troubleshooting. Because you could go down some serious rabbit holes. I co I totally agree. It's just that the problem is I have too many siblings, so I still get stuck with it. Yeah. See, I yeah. Well, I'm 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 fortunate because all mine are back in Scotland. So, you know, very rarely rarely are they calling me these days for that kind of nonsense. Mm -hmm. So um, anything? So so as we wrap up, any any questions for me? Why don't Why don't you try and throw something my way, a little curveball or something? Okay. So out of curiosity, when you've gone through, you can't say today, but what has been one of your favorite episodes that you've done of this podcast? Um, yeah. So so excluding today, obviously, oh, yeah. uh, I I I've been fortunate, really fortunate. Um, so so a couple of one points. One is. I'm one year at Banyan this week. So oh. I decided in my one year, I would write a blog post or a LinkedIn article, which is the marketing team are now having fun with. But, but I, I was going through it and, and kind of like, what's my observations as a first time CSO one year in the job, right? Yeah. Um, and, and the podcasting bit was cool. But one of the things is, 
I've been blessed with my last couple of companies of Adobe and Cisco to have done great jobs there that enabled me to meet some fascinating people. So for me, um, Teresa Perrin, she's the ex White House CIO, yeah. um, and she is 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 mad as a hatter, but she's an amazing woman, brilliant, brilliant to hang out with. But then when you really dig into to her life and what she, what she's done and what she's doing, it's it's just brilliant. So so for me, she was she was excellent, and then I'm always always you know. Um, at all the the FBI team and some of the stuff that they do in the background that, that we never really hear much about. So Elvis Chan's another guy that I've met over the years, a brilliant guy. And and he leads the, the cyber team in San Francisco. So getting to talk to him about some of the stuff that's going on there was excellent. So it, it, yeah, it, it's been pretty cool because I've got to meet people over the years. And then when I took this job on and, and we decided we we're going to do a podcast and I reached out to everybody, you know, everybody, there's, there's, there's one person I need to chase up because I know he's a busy guy, but everybody that I've, I've ever asked have always said, yeah, I'd love to come on the, the podcast and, and, and do a show and stuff. So that's been pretty cool. Um, oh, and, I and get... then... Go ahead. So I was just going to say one thing I wrote down in my notepad to not forget was you mentioned earlier about the music maestro, right? The, so as a musician in me and how I bring that back into my work life, I've never thought about that before. I haven't, I hadn't even thought about it the way you described it, but, but I'd certainly think of myself as being someone that compartmentalizes things that we need to do really easily, like it's a music track and building. Mm -hmm. Or you've got all the drums and percussion, you've got the bass lines, you've got the keyboards and synths and vocals and all these things and the elements. Well, to do a song these days, especially an electronic dance tune, it's, it is about 50 to 70 tracks of music, mm -hmm. all organized and arranged in a certain way and blended together to hopefully finally make a tune that's worth listening to. When we do our work, we actually are pulling strings and juggling and organizing to that same level as well. You know, so one project, there might be 50 people in the team and there might be two or three PMs working on it. Or So, so for me, um, I, I guess there's been a level of translation, but I think the most important thing is my being organized and, and a lot of my success hasn't really been music related. A lot of it's more been from the, the cooking days mm -hmm. when I worked in kitchens because the prep work, as you said earlier, you prep before dinner service so that dinner service is smooth. And the more prep you do before dinner service, the smoother dinner service will be. And I think of that just like a project. The more prep that we can do in a project up front before you go live, the better that that cut over that go live or that thing will be. So I've, I've thought I've thought of that more as being part of my success than than probably and anything else. Yeah. So my, my last question, I will ask one more that I did have that I was thinking of is what's your favorite live music event that you've been to? Oh, um, so I'm a huge fan of Above and Beyond. Um, mm -hmm the record label and a lot of stuff they've done. So that's been brilliant. But 
but I would say mainstream artists and concerts. Pink was probably one of the best artists I've seen because her show is just phenomenal. Um, I'd seen you too, thought they were great. Coldplay, I think, is probably one of the best live bands I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, I, I try and go to a concert, you know, every couple of months if I can. I mean, I, I want to see good, I want to see good shit, but um, I don't, I don't limit it to just electronic music, which is my thing. You know, I'd, I'd kind of go see anything. So, yeah, yeah but Coldplay's concerts, if, if, if you've never seen Coldplay live, they're probably one of the best bands. And then Pink, she was just phenomenal. And I've seen Lady Gaga and I've seen Madonna and I've seen Pink. And for me, Pink was was a better show than, than the other than She's the like other guys. Acrobatic theatrical persons. So I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I've I've seen her twice actually, flying around the air while she sings. I'm like, that's quite a skill. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> the only time I'm flying around the air singing is probably after I've had quite a lot of alcohol. So quite a bit. It's quite, yeah, it's quite a, yeah, it's quite a different show you're getting at Den's house. So, so yeah. So Amanda, thank you very much. It's been awesome having you on the show. I've got one final question as we wrap up. Okay. Uh, for all the listeners, um, what would be the one piece of advice or takeaway you want them to leave with that you think would benefit them in their career? I think if I was going to summarize like the things that we've been around and around here a little bit today that probably hits home is that your most effective leaders are built by what's going on from their past experiences, both personal and professional. You bring all of that with you to become who you are. And I think we have to embrace that. Awesome. Amanda, thank you very much. It's been amazing having you on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll hopefully see each other in person one day soon, I guess. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Banyan Security and find future episodes of the podcast, please visit us at banyansecurity.io. Special thanks to Urban Punks for providing the music for this episode. You can find their track Summer Silk and all their music at urbanpunks.com.